Welcome to the Overclock.net podcast live on Twitch. Uh, with me, as always, is Bonsai Tree. How's it going, girls and guys? Cynical Unicorn. Not my fault this week. Myself, Wolfsbora, and with us is special guest JJ from Asus. How are you, uh, Asus? Well, I guess you are Asus. How are you, JJ? I'm doing good. Thank you for asking, and uh, thanks for the invite, and uh, welcome to everybody else that's uh, here on the stream. And first off, before we get into anything, are we saying it right? How? Because tons of questions, always, every time <laughs> we talk to you guys, how do you pronounce it? That's a, a great question, and really, uh, it's pretty easy. What I tell most people is it's A, and then take Dr. Seuss, and then just remove that other part, and so it's A. Seuss. That's the easiest A. Doctor. Way. Got it. You know, so so here's here's something interesting. So I I worked for a, a big box retailer, you know, and they the reps different reps all told me it's Asus. Is that correct? That's pretty close. That's pretty close. I mean, I, I'm not gonna we won't get into semantics. You know, uh, the really the kind of I guess the quote unquote uh, worst offenders would be somebody that goes more with assist, right? So the Asus kind of vibe. But if you're a Seuss, or you have a little bit of kind of that, but you're still reinforcing more of common kind of O kind of structure, and then us, right? I, I'd say you're fine. I like it. <laughs> hey, Bonsai, there great question. That was a good way to start this off, man. Aw, uh, thanks, buddy. You got me the warm and cuddlies going. I mean, I just want to tickle you all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Wow, we've been live for like, what, two minutes, and we're already talking about tickling. Dude, yeah. Hey, we we get weird in here. Just accept it, it. If you didn't already notice, I am a fan of tickling because uh, I'm not ticklish, so it's fine for me. So I just tickle everybody else. Yeah, he's also a big fan of Canadians, so you combine the two and... Y- and it, it's heaven. Yeah. <laughs> so, just moving remember, on. remember, I control the stream, so... <laughs> <laughs> okay, get off your high horse theory. Well, uh, I mean, I guess if you guys are all ready to roll here, let's uh, go right into some questions, shall we? Sounds good. What do you got for us? So, uh, we'll start with capital PT. And this is a question um, regarding something in the future, so we'll find out how it goes. Can we expect a crosshair six formula and or extreme in the near future? So great question. So I, I think the first thing is that for most of the enthusiasts, and I'm sure for you guys, you're pretty much aware that, um, you know, Crosshair is a really interesting series for us. It actually was the very first ROG series motherboard. And uh, the previous generations actually had the designation of Crosshair Formula, right? Um, for this generation, though, we shifted over of taking that name and shifting it into the hero designation so that it would be more in line kind of with a parity perspective uh, with what's on the Intel side of the fence. Um, and that was just to be able to allow for, I think, a better sense of kind of compare and contrast, right? I think with this platform being uh, competitive enough in terms of the overall performance and specification, we're going to have a lot of people that might be looking at something like a Maximus 9 hero and then a Crosshair 6 hero, right? And so we didn't want to create too much of a differentiation that didn't make sense Um so that was part of that. So for all intents and purposes, you're looking at the formula in the hero. Now, whether or not we'll upgrade to, let's say, a more specialized board, which now under kind of the current structure of what we have with formula and the new extreme really being first and foremost focused at water cooling enthusiasts uh, with native integrated, uh, you know, VRM blocks or uh, CPU VRM blocks like you see on the extreme and things along those lines. Um, never say never, uh, but, you know, 
ROG boards take a really long time in terms of their uh, design and development. On average, it's probably about 20 to 40% more time, and in some situations, 50% 50, 50 more time than a traditional ASUS series board in terms of their timeline to develop. Um, so with that, um, you know, right now, pretty much the launch focus for us is going to be this Prime X370 board. So that's going to be that white kind of monochromatic color scheme. And then, of course, what we've got on the crosshair. Uh, but as to whether maybe something will come out, I think a lot of that's going to be dictated by, you know, what we see within the community and, and if they really seem like they want um, that next type of board. Um, and so we'll definitely closely be monitoring that and, and we'll go from there. So you say there's an extra, like, what, 20, 25% more time spent on um, designing these boards. Where does that time generally go? A lot of that goes into, very specifically, I would say, that the actual memory. Um, one of the biggest areas that if we take a look at the way that the actual R&D team and the P&T team is broken down, so the product management team and then the R&D team, there's actually a dedicated team in terms of product management as well as R&D specifically for RG series boards. And so they'll go in and they'll spend additional time maybe testing out two to three to four different versions of, let's say, the trace topology. So that's going to be the, the layout, right, uh, for the traces between like the CPU and the DRAM, uh, trying to maybe extend and enhance the overclocking margin or improve maybe DRAM compatibility with certain types of uh, ICs. Uh, or they'll maybe go about and test, you know, different types of layout design implementations for the VRM. There could be a kind of a lot of little subtle things. A lot of it generally, I would say in most situations, is performance oriented. Um, there's also kind of a, a lot of cross testing with, um, I'd say, specialized functions that get introduced to the board. Like a good example is right now for the Ryzen chipset, excuse me, for the Ryzen CPUs and X370 chipset, the crosshair features, uh, you know, an outboard. Uh, bus clock generator to allow us to be able to have a little bit more granularity at how we can manipulate bus, uh, bus clock uh, overclocking on the board where well, that's not something on the prime right but if we we're going to want to essentially offer that type of flexibility we've also got to be able to build in a lot of um, auto rules and certain type of uh, strap auto configuration parameters built into the UEFI because you know, while there's definitely a lot of enthusiasts that they'll say that they want to spend time to be able to do this and they love all these parameters, what we realistically see is only a very small amount of uh, enthusiasts are really going to spend the time to get into, you know, uh, tertiary level timing parameters or uh, uh, strap reassignment parameters and a lot of kind of specialized uh, options that are, uh, that are that are present within that. So we want to try to make sure that that experience, if they want to be able to have, let's say, high DRAM uh, overclocking capabilities, that the auto rules are in place to maximize that hardware redesign that we've put onto the board. And so that just takes a lot of extra time to, to go through and actually test those things and try to figure out, you know, is that as smooth as possible and does that actually work? Um, and then form factor affects also this. Um, you know, if we go back to something like on um, the Intel side of the fence, when we're talking about mini ITX boards, uh, take for instance, like the last uh, impact board that we developed, literally it was twice as long as any other board development cycle that we had, uh, because literally it's just a such a small board and kind of having that perspective of no compromise design in terms of overclocking margin or DRAM or stuff like that can be really challenging. See, one thing, one thing I got to say, it's a pleasure having someone on from a company that really knows their stuff. <laughs> a lot of times, you know, great people, and some people are, are really smart, really on top of things, and some people uh, great to talk to, and they're more more marketing or sales. Um, but you really seem to know your stuff, and uh, it's 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 kind of refreshing. It's nice to uh, nice to hear all the all the gritty details and the reasons why. Um, and on that note, what is your actual role at a at 
Asus <laughs> for everyone uh, just joining us and not aware. Uh, so my position, it's, it's actually evolved in a couple of different uh, ways. Um, you know, I've now been with the company for almost nine years. And right now, my kind of current role is a little bit of a hybrid role. I serve on our kind of technical marketing team. Uh, which helps to handle things like community engagement uh, in terms of certain type of forums, um, certain types of social media groups to be able to kind of monitor and provide feedback and guidance, uh, whether that's like overclocking insights, PCDIY tips, um, you know, or also just kind of gleaming the kind of collective of perspective that enthusiasts have, you know, seeing what their trends of focus are, right? You know, like a great example is something like in design aesthetic, um, you know, we ran polling year after year after year to be able to kind of gauge, do people like the certain type of design aesthetic or do they want something else? And you saw that with like an ROG. If you're an ROG fan, you saw boards go from, you know, red, white, and black to then red and black and to now, you know, over the last couple of generations, they've gone entirely monochromatic uh, to be able to allow for the most kind of aesthetic flexibility when a builder wants to be able to build, you know, with different types of color schemes. Um, but uh, in addition to that, I also um, I'm part of now our, our formal product marketing team. Um, so this is a new role for me in terms of actually more directly working with our team on messaging in terms of like what you see for like product pages and like web assets and stuff like that. Stuff that most enthusiasts, you know, for most intents and purposes, don't really find relevant. Um, you know, when you talk to enthusiasts, you do the, oh, do you care about a banner ad? They, they're probably going to tell you I've got ad block because I don't even want to see them. Um, so, <laughs> um, you know, so it's it's a little bit kind of uh, in those different directions and and in addition to that, definitely, I think the most important part that I serve is, is first and foremost as an enthusiast user and somebody that's connected to kind of the user base is taking back those feedback from those users as well as uh, partners. So partners could be everybody from like Corsair to G-Skill, um, you know, to NZXT, to any number of different partners that produce different types of products to figure out um, how can we have better synergy, whether that's in features and functions directly on the products, um, aesthetic focuses. Um, and then from there, then coordinating back with our PM team at the headquarters level from a design perspective, right? So examples of this is like uh, when we were the first vendors to like unilaterally put in uh, true DC and PWM output control, all like on, on the boards, right? So that users had the flexibility of saying, hey, I don't care whether I put a three pin fan or a four pin fan, if I want to run, you know, PWM fan splitter so that I can output that out to, you know, a triple stage radiator or to, you know, two to three fans in my front intake, I want to have that flexibility and that granularity of control. So that was something that we saw that there was the demand for. We pass back that feedback to the PM team. And then, you know, it's our challenge to implement it and figure out how to best do it on the boards. So um, that's kind of that high level question. I, I can't be super specific on saying that it just covers one thing because it doesn't. Uh, like you'll find with a lot of component vendors, there's quite a bit of, uh, I'd say, uh, multitasking that goes going on per their job role. Okay, very cool. And since you brought up aesthetics, we got to talk about it. RGB. <laughs> it's it's the hot new jam. And uh, I saw Asus. What what are you guys calling uh, calling yours again? So our initiative is called uh, Asus Aura Sync. Uh, sync would mean the designation of it, of course, of being able to synchronize with different products, but our kind of quote-unquote uh, implementation, uh, we message through uh, Aura as being the, the naming convention. Okay, so how does this how does this sync through different uh, the different separate components? So your motherboard and your GPU um, does it sync with anything else? How does this all work? So it works through a couple couple of different implementations. So um, for the, I guess on the first level, if you take a look at a motherboard, there's going to be integrated RGB lighting zones. Um, uh, for many kind of the RG series motherboards, take for instance, they'll usually have two zones. So one might be like in the PCH, and then another might be in the shroud. 
Um, and then from there, we'll then supplement that usually with one or two uh, Aura RGB headers. And so those are 50-50 pin uh, headers that you can go ahead and connect either LED strips or chassis with integrated LED lighting like those from Fantex or from Inwin, from Deepcool. There's quite a number of different partners. Um, and then that can synchronize with Asus series graphics cards in terms of the lighting. Um, and there's now DRAM modules from companies like Corsair and G-Skill as well. And even right now, uh, we're the only vendor that allows for both internal and external syncing. So like on our latest line of peripherals with our uh, Claymore keyboard and our Gladius mice, um, you actually have full synchronization that occurs through that entire uh, ecosystem. Now, and um, I do want to also touch on something else because there is kind of always kind of this, I'd say, vocal minority because what I see is really actually a lot of builders that really do like the ability to add ambience um, and kind of a look and feel through RGB. And I think that's really our first and foremost focus at when we decided to implement it. It wasn't just for kind of um, an arbitrary reason of just saying, let's just stick lighting on the board. One, I think we did it in a really conscious and uh, a very conscious and deliberate manner that made sense. So if you take a look at our boards, all of them are diffused. So that means that you don't ever see direct lighting. And we think that's important because most of the times our, uh, the LED lighting should be really bright. And so having an element of diffusion helps to soften it and create more of kind of a diffused look, uh, which helps to kind of set, I, I think, a, a softer tone that leans more towards creating look and feel and ambience. So when you look at like the LED implementation on something like the Crosshair 6 Hero or the Maximus 9 Hero, it's underneath the shroud, so the shroud diffuses that. Um, we spent time to have a special extrusion uh, process uh, for the actual PCH heatsink, so that same thing, that light kind of floods out, and you don't ever really see directly that LED, right? Um, and you know, at the end of it, if you don't like it, you know, you can turn it off. But what we okay. definitely see yeah. is um, there was a there was a want for people to continue to define the look and feel of their system, and our our kind of core goal at doing it at the end of the day was saying. Let's do it and let's make sure that we give people um, a, uh, a sensible way of it being implemented that works, um, that can be synchronized because they're, they're going to want that ability to have the synchronization occur and then also make sure that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't extend itself to be more of a priority than any other point on the board, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not like we're going to do that at the expense of something else. It's only going to be there to supplement the further narrative of being able to have a great looking board. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I must say... I know RGB is is the hot new thing. I mean, he I, just I, talked about it for like four minutes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say it's the hot new thing and all, but I personally, I, I still prefer the kind of plainer look. I'm glad you can turn it off. Um, but uh, no, I I have a I have an ASUS board in in my computer right now, the 990FX, um, the Tough series, and fantastic motherboard. Super happy with it. Um, and I think I'd probably go for my next build, uh, which might be might be starting soon. I'm debating. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, but let's if I get the if I can justify the money for it. But uh, I would definitely consider uh, another tough board again because this one's been great to me. But let's uh, let's grab another question from the thread. Um, there's one from Cat here asking, and I, th I thought this one was interesting in a different perspective. She says, out of all the different products that Asus manufactures, which market is your most successful? So is it motherboards? Is it graphics cards, laptops, desktops, peripherals? W what is the most successful, RGB the lights. biggest biggest profit margin? RGB lights, by the sound of it? Definitely RGB lights. <laughs> 
Uh, well, first, it wouldn't be RGB lights because we don't make any actual any LED lights, right? Unless you counted products <laughs> that had LEDs uh, built into them. It's but, basically uh, the same thing. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's it's uh, I can't get into that exact specificity of saying you know exactly which product division is I think most successful. I think a, a more interesting question um, would be that a company of our size, right, being we're the largest motherboard manufacturer in the world, and we have um, very 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 successful. Uh, product divisions for a wide number of other categories, right? So now notebooks, monitors, networking equipment, um, you know, or older type of products that, you know, still see uh, popularity with things even like multimedia, like sound cards and stuff like that, or new categories like peripherals, which is something that a few years ago we didn't weren't even in that space, right? Um, and I think more importantly would be that there's always this, there's always the concern that uh, when a company continues to kind of diversify and put its, its focus on more and more product categories, is there going to be a deterioration to the quality of the product or kind of the innovation that you see within those categories? Um, yeah, and so for sure. For the traditional kind of core component products, right, that we produce, um, whether they're Asus graphics cards, Asus motherboards, stuff that the core enthusiast has known uh, from us for, you know, for literally decades now, right? Um, you can say that we're making, I think, the best class of boards that we've ever made in our history in terms of that the features and functionality that we're introducing continue to really be at the forefront. We're seeing competitors consistently kind of try to duplicate and implement the same type of design implementations uh you know year after year after we put it in first um so i think so that so sorry, sorry sorry to cut you off what's an example of that so you're saying you know let's get specific if you're if you're saying uh you're seeing some people take some certain parts of your motherboard what's what's one that uh what are some of the things that you've seen that you guys implemented first and you've seen later Sure. Well, there's there's a whole bunch of them. That's that's low hanging fruit. Um, <laughs> and um, you know, we see it kind of two day, two ways. But to to answer first and foremost that question, I think a perfect example is something like audio design. Right. Um, before we decide to really make a conscious effort to really uh, unilaterally improve the audio design, which we could go back to the very first cross board, uh, crosshair board, and that board, um, an early uh, RG board enthusiast will know this. They had always the little supreme effects. Um, you know, isolated a card, right? And that was for the same focus of having isolation, improved audio componentries and stuff like that. Um, Real text way better. But when we went back <laughs> and, and implemented uh, the isolated audio design, um, you know, we saw after a couple of generations, pretty much every motherboard manufacturer implement the same type of design implementation, right? They went with an isolated audio path. They would start to shield the audio codec, incorporating operational amplifiers, putting in audio grade capacitors, all those different things. Now, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, and ultimately, we still think that we've done it the best. Um, but the interesting narrative, I think, more so is that that has unilaterally improved the experience for every single user, even if you're not an Asus user. And this kind of gets back to a, sometimes a bigger question of, um, I think, valuing the vendors in an industry. And this goes across anybody. So, you know, we're talking about chassis manufacturers. We're talking about PSU vendors, CPU coolers. Um, anybody that really does something that's innovative, I, I think, should always kind of be uh, respected and appreciated in terms of a consumer base because they help to push the industry forward. Um, so even if you're a user that bought an MSI solution or an ASRock solution or a Gigabyte solution, um, there's a lot of designs that we set first and foremost on boards and then kind of shifted in. And this happens on little things and big things. Uh, you know, MSI followed up with implementations of something as basic as our Q connector, which for years people used to love the fact, hey, I don't have to run leads straight to a motherboard. And then they released a, an M connector version, right? It was just a different name for the same thing. Um, or even VRM design. I'm sure you guys remember phase battles for a long, 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 long time. And oh, uh, yeah. there was a lot of critique when Asus was the first vendor to unilaterally implement a focus on 
digital uh, PWMs across all active high-end boards, both Intel and AMD. And then even like on ROG, ROG for generations has only been generally an eight-phase power delivery system. Um, and, you know, if we go back a few generations, there was competitors that were hammering us over and over again. And we were like, it's about the quality and it's about the total design. It's not about the number, right? Um, and, that, and that has affected board design implementation to this day. So there's a lot of things that... Um, but that puts us in a good position. I mean, I think that's what we're happy about when we get to genuinely do stuff that's new and interesting. Um, you know, that's what's most exciting for us. I do think, though, um, you're not giving ASRock enough credit. Um, like you guys, you know, you might innovate with uh, some of the little stuff, making the overall board better. But people like ASRock, they're the guys coming out with Mini ITX LGA 2011. And I mean, they used to be part of ASUS. <laughs> like, you, you guys made a mistake spinning them off. If you had kept them, you could have had like the most bizarre motherboards. Um, the, um, this this the, is hilarious. The Anantech review for um, Ryzen, one of the lines in it, which I thought was hilarious, was um, Azrock's motherboard design division basically throws spaghetti at the wall and sees what sticks. And given the really weird stuff that they've released over the years, that doesn't seem wrong. So, like, really, what we need to do is take their insanity designs <laughs> and like the, the ASIS. Um, as I'm going to pronounce it, the ASIS quality and uh, engineering. If we combine this, could have like the greatest motherboards of all time. It's an, uh, an interesting perspective to take. I think that we uh, actually feel that we're pretty crazy in terms of doing stuff that's unique and different. Um, I don't know, but... see any mini ITX LGA 2011 boards from you people. <laughs> sure, sure. That is that is one that we consciously decided not to make. But, you know, I think we really helped to set the foundation for what the expectation was in high performance mini ITX boards. Right. Um, you know, so I think that that is a really interesting narrative because we had a lot of people <laughs> that asked and said, hey, sh should you guys make one or do you guys really want to make one? And it came down really saying that we didn't think that um, there was the demand in the market segment um, and to produce something like that of also there's a really interesting balancing act um, between kind of answering this always demand from users to say that they want to see something versus actually is there a sufficient demand to justify the the research the design and the development of that product um, you can see this actually with chassis too like if you talk to a chassis partner you know to kick off a hundred percent brand new tooling for one chassis could maybe cost in the order of you know a hundred thousand to one hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. So does it really make sense for a chassis vendor to just uh, because you know you get ten people that say hey you guys should make this um, and have it come to fruition when there's really not that many people that want it right? Um, so yeah, but but you're you're talking to the, you're talking to the niche super enthusiasts of OCN. Of course, <laughs> of course we're gonna say we want it. Even the fact that it doesn't make business sense, ah, that's someone else's problem. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, what I want to see from you guys, Mini ITX, actually, you know what, let's go with the new uh, the Skylake socket, LGA 3647 or whatever it is. Uh, take two of those, stick them on one Mini ITX motherboard. That's what I want to see from you all. <laughs> I mean, obviously. Got it, got it. I will make sure to, uh, to follow that up with our R&D team. <laughs> yeah, I'm not actually going to buy it because I don't have the money. I just want to see you guys make it. <laughs> yeah, this is, that, that's the kind of consumer that you should totally listen to. No air quotes, no sarcasm at all. Exactly. That's that's the kind of the kind of consumer that I mean, really, you want to spend millions upon millions of dollars, you know, really just getting, you know, knee deep in that sort of R and D. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. I will say, I think there's a huge, huge, huge market 
for Rachel Ray branded GPUs. I'm just I saying. Swear to oh, God. Oh, I like it. I, I don't think it's as niche as you might think, and that that's where the money is. But you know, you know. Sorry, it's 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 funny though because um a lot of the even the product categories that we had you know as much as they might seem saturated now um especially with things like ROG we really kind of helped to define what are quote niche segments that didn't exist in the marketplace because we saw that there was enough merit from actually saying that there should be boards that should be designed specifically for some users even if they're smaller um sets right because that wasn't necessarily always the case right i mean you could go back to now we have five separate board divisions this is still bigger than any other motherboard vendor um because we were willing to take the time and effort to diversify and even for smaller niche targets say hey you want something that has a ground up design that's targeted towards a certain type of aesthetic a certain type of usability a certain type of even um you know level of functionality right that's why you have you know tough series you have rws series you have um rog we now have the sub you know strict series and then even now our, our uh, kind of stalwart kind of traditional series uh with the prime series um so you know my perspective that we've actually continued to really look and say even if it is quote unquote a niche audience right is is there merit still at kind of looking um at doing stuff for those community of users actually on a related note um i'm being serious now um so mini dtx right it's a form factor it's effectively mini itx with the second pci express slot and it fits without modification into the vast majority of mini ITX cases. Why is it that um, we haven't really seen these replace mini ITX? Because generally speaking, I can't imagine that the uh, motherboard becomes too much more complex than mini ITX. Like it's nothing more than just um, maybe a PCIe X1 slot at the bottom and uh, an extended circuit board. Um, have you guys ever considered making one of these? Just like these kind of, um, I'm not sure what well, I'm looking for. It'd be a bit of an upgrade to ITX overall. Um, yep. And it should be compatible with most cases, but I've never really seen anything outside of like some of, um, say, Biostar or ASRocks, like any of their low-end embedded boards. So I think that's that's kind of the big question, right? Is that we've kind of have this paradox that exists in terms of that the PC DIY market has uh, continued to evolve with a lot of diversity in terms of what is possible and but at the same time i think that the industry has most benefited benefited from the standardization of a lot of key technologies right so like you can look at the atx spec it's you know over two decades old essentially um and for all intents and purposes it's probably bigger than it needs to be but this is also allowed for a lot of stabilization in terms of having vendors reapproach and reinterpret different ways that they want to design things. And so if we go back to four or five years ago, before some chassis vendors started reinterpreting what they could do with placement of different types of bays, you didn't have a, a lot of modularization in terms of mindset saying, hey, we want to be able to have everything from 120s to 140s to quick slide ride uh, support to be able to then mount, you know, my pump and mirrors bar in this location or be able to have placement even for kind of an aesthetic visibility to have kind of more breathing room when I look inside my system, right? Um, and I think that's kind of one of the really cool things. At the same time, has it maybe limited sometimes a more aggressive perspective of saying, hey, had somebody kind of just thrown the baby out with the bathwater, um, maybe some new things kind of would have come down the road. And I think we're entering in now into a time that with, I think, the virality of people being able to talk and say what they want and what they're interested in and with do different types of platforms. Uh, we see this within chassis, right? There's a lot of community-driven chassis that are popping up now uh, with platforms like, you know, Indiegogo or Kickstarter. Um, you know, this, this opens up, I think, the narrative. Um, but at the same time, 
A lot of this is resource-based. Think about that right now we produce everything from ATX to EATX to then, if we wanted to get into it, our server-based boards, and then we make thin ITX, we're now making SFX, we make micro-ATX, right? And all What's of those- What's the have... um, sub-ITX um, board? It's like STX or something, five, five inch by five inch? Yeah, yeah, so that's a very new standard that's right now being proposed by Intel, and we actually just released boards for that segmentation of the market too. Ah, yes. Um, and the, the tricky part to that though is that who's it supposed to be made for? Because you might get somebody that um, is kind of like in the HTPC or kind of general productivity space that sees, hey, this is what I want, right? But that's going to be very different than somebody kind of in the heart of, you know, uh, the overclock forms, right? Where they're like, man, I want to make sure that I still got a strong VRM design. I want to be able to, you know, overclock the DRAM on it. I want to be able to have, you know, still all these different fans connected to it. And I think that's the tricky balance of trying to figure out is there an audience for those different types of solutions. And then from there, going back once again to that bandwidth perspective of how much time and effort it takes us to do more performance-oriented chipsets. When we talk about yeah. a lot of those more entry-level chipsets, they tend to use, um, excuse me, the, those smaller uh, motherboard designs, they tend to use chipsets that are not as complex. So the design and development period can be far shorter because you don't have to account for tons of the variation that you have in, let's say, performance-oriented chipsets. So. Um, it's 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 pretty complicated, but you know I think we're in a good time that we're going to continue to see this evolve, and I think we're interested in more so the narrative of what are things that you can do if you decide to throw things out the window. So an example that I've loved to talk to users about is, you know, ninety percent plus of the market uses one single graphics card. Why do we need to have yep. extra PCI slots, right? What happens if I took away all the slots on a motherboard and I use that space for an entirely different purpose? Um, what can I use that for? Is it for something aesthetic? Is it for something that maybe have like grouped control headers, maybe breakout, um, you know, design options? There could be a lot of different uh, narratives. And I think that we're starting to get enough to the point that there's enough different communities, different niches, and different ways to be able to present and provide the product that we're now going to see even more uh, new and different types of designs. So, so to cut back to the original question, there's not you're not making those motherboards because there's not much, enough of a need in the market for them right now to justify the amount of tooling and everything. I, I'd say that's that's one part to it, of course. Um, I think yeah, you know, if we've got from base perspective, right, you know, demand is probably the biggest driver, uh, and then time and resource bandwidth is probably the second biggest piece to it. I mean, really. I don't see who wouldn't want DTX over uh, or mini DTX over mini ITX. Well, like, it's, are, it's objectively better. You get an extra PCI Express slot, just like stick a one of um, the, the uh, NVMe. That's the one NVMe SSD in the top slot. You got like GPU in the bottom slot. It'd work. It'd be great. Yeah, yeah but don't uh, most mini ITX systems use a small form factor PSU that probably can't handle it's, dual it's GPU? It's either ATX, and if not ATX, then it's um, SFX, which, as we discussed um, last week, they're, getting they're bigger, up yeah. to like 700, 750 watts. And if you're cramming two GPUs into um, a mini ITX case and you're paying the tax for the, um, the small motherboard, I have the strangest feeling that you can afford to upgrade your PSU a bit. Yeah, I suppose, but... <laughs> you're such a, such a salty, salty little man, Cynical. <laughs> okay then um so i had i do have one question that kept popping up from our friends on reddit and this is a bit of a bit of a tough one but there's been a few uh i figure you know what might as well get it in the open and uh, and you can address it uh however you like just 
rather than people, you know, there's always one, one bad voice that speaks out and everyone listens to that instead of the positive stuff. So there's been a few complaints regarding Asus support that I've seen out there. Asus. <laughs> What's, uh, are there is there anything in motion or what's the uh, current setup for support or are you do you have any plans right now to um, work on improving your support so yeah i mean um you know i think first and foremost support is something that you never reach um a, a happy medium essentially a, a level that you want to say that you're done with um you know from uh, from my actually background even which actually was in system integration and private consultation before i even entered into a marketing department i know this very very well is that you have to really look at it on a consistent ongoing basis you know just because you had great support three years ago doesn't mean that that's going to continue to apply but when you look at a company like ours which is a global company and you look at something like the internet that also has no borders this is now becoming um exponentially more complicated in terms of having a, a clear understanding of how different places are affected so an example is you know for me right and asus north america we cover uh, Canada, United States, uh, and then from there even uh, Latin America, right? But you might have people that are posting about their experiences in the UK, they might be posting about their experience in France, they might be posting about their experience in the Philippines, Singapore, or even in Russia, right? Um, and uh, each one of those regions are going to have different levels of support implementation. So that's one kind of big issue that you have in terms of trying to figure out uh, that narrative. For us, uh, we definitely realize the relevancy of making sure that uh, an enthusiast community is, is strongly supported. So, you know, some of the things that we did is we implemented a dedicated customer loyalty team for escalation mechanisms so that they would be able to go into communities and talk to users and work with them on, um, you know, RMAs or on follow-up opportunities to help to make sure that they felt that they were getting their issues addressed, right? Um, you know, in addition to that, also, you know, supplementing information and insight at launch, right? You know, we're really, uh, I would challenge any other vendor to say that in the last five years that they've produced more clear, usable information to be able to provide the community on how to better use a product. Because sometimes you get people that post problems and it's not that there's a genuine issue with the product. It might be that they don't have necessarily the understanding of how a platform works. Um, you know, so an example might be, you know, we would have people that would take dual channel memory kits for DIMMs from, you know, uh, a Z-series chipset and stick it into X99 and then attempt to put XMP and not realize, hey, you know, the memory timings for that dual channel kit configuration is not going to work in quad channel. So you might actually have to go and manually tune third level timings or they don't have an understanding of the memory controller, right? Regardless that the board might be validated for speed, there's no guarantee that your memory controller, just like a CPU frequency, has a defined frequency that it can run at, right? Intel certifies the memory controller for one fixed frequency. And just because you buy a kit of G-Skill that runs at 3200 megahertz doesn't mean that your memory controller is going to run at 32 megahertz. Um, but us as the motherboard vendor, we're kind of always the first one that kind of gets that immediate pushback to uh, resolve, quote unquote, the issue and the experience that the user has had because we're, we're so foundational to that core experience. Um, and that's that's a very challenging position to be in. But, you know, we, we put out a lot of, you know, guides, we put out video content, we put out a lot of things to help people to try to understand that. And, you know, other things like the UEFI. I challenge any anybody to go look at, you know, top level ROG boards five years comparatively and take any motherboard that they want from any competitor and look at the amount of consistent long term UEFI support done within a year and a half since the board's release, uh, which affects things like interoperability for memory, uh, for DRAM tuning parameters, for um, auto overclock memory routines and tons of other things. 
there's not one board vendor that comes even close to the amount of UFI support that we do in the long term. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that we provide support. And, you know, I'm not going to say that we're anywhere near where we would love to be. Um, but that's because it's always a moving target. Um, and I think all we can try to keep doing is just being honest and transparent about where our challenges are and keep falling back with users to try to make sure that they're satisfied. So I, I totally see. And f for one, I, uh, I've had great luck with, with Asus products. And I think generally everyone, um, I don't think anyone, uh, doesn't consider Asus in the, in the top for, uh, product quality, but more, more so than specifically just, uh, guides and in, in user support for, uh, proper installation and proper use. Um, I know there was some, uh, some discussing specifically if, if we're getting more into specifics regarding the, uh, some RMA issues, is that something that you can, you want to talk about or address? Well, like I noted, you know, that's, uh, we have, we have dedicated, you know, like I said, um, CLC teams, so customer loyal team teams that work to work directly with users on, you know, different RMA experiences. Um, and, we try to ch handle that on a case-by-case -case basis and see, you know, where their issue is. Is it a question that it's a part allocation issue? Um, sometimes it's actually an oversight on information delivery. So the user sends the thing in, but then we sent them a form and the form doesn't get sent back to us. So the board is waiting there until we get that return back uh, for varying reasons on whatever the requirement was from the user. Um, you know, sometimes there might be incomplete documentation on um, uh testing and debugging steps, right? So the user maybe doesn't go through the exact detailing that we've been asked on on them. Um, and so that can kind of extend the process. So there's there's a lot of different pieces to that, but it's something that we're definitely consistently looking at uh, for all of our regions, for North America, like I said, for, for Canada, for Latin America, to try to make sure that that process hopefully goes through as smoothly as, as, as possible. Um, you know, and that's, that's a challenge, you know, when you just deal with the mm -hmm. position that we're in as far as the number of boards that are out there. Um, and I think also the, the complexity of the way that platforms are now. I mean, you know, I, I've been doing this for a long time, so definitely boards are uh, in some ways super easier to work on than they were like, you know, before we had to like manually set jumpers yeah. and we had to manually <laughs> set like IRQ parameters no. just to get things to work right. Um, but yeah. at the same time, um, there's like so many little sub things that people have different perceptions on. Like people might have post routine concerns, right? And say, I want my board to fast post this type of speed, not realizing, hey, you know, there's like 20 things that we have to handle in here. And your perception of what you might think is fast versus our perception of we want fast, but also stable and reliable, right? Um, you know, it's how do, how do you serve all those points? So it's just, you know, it's, it's just being cognizant of all of those concerns, not shutting them down in terms of just saying, hey, there's no relevancy to these people's issues, um, while also tempering it with that there's tons of people that have great experiences, but Kind of you guys have been in forums for a long time. There's people that will not. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll have a positive experience, but they're not going to go right about their positive experience, no, right? It, exactly. Um, it's, 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 always, it's always the people who, who feel rightly or wrongly a lot of times, you know, um, that they have a bad experience that speak up, not the ones who, not the, you know, the one out of a thousand that have a bad experience speak up versus the other, you know, 10,000 that have a positive experience. Don't it say also it. Don't say doesn't, a thing, help. So. doesn't help that Asus is so big in um, the DIY PC market. Um, however, one of the more worrying things is, at least what I'm looking at now, Asus RMA site reddit.com, um, page two of about 25,600 results. That's not really promising. Um, 
lots of horror stories posted. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's it's hard even though when you look at threads, though, great, right, too, because how much of that is um, individual use case scenarios, right? Um, how much of it is just um, additional commentary made upon that, right? So just because you have that many threads isn't representative of individual cases, right? Um, I can't I can't disclose to our exact numbers, but I can definitely tell you that in terms of RMA rates, you know, a great example of what you can look at is things like our system integrator partners. If people had a perception on the reliability of a product, we have more system integrators than any other motherboard vendor that's in the market. Uh, if we just looked at boards, right? So if we talk about partners like Digital Storm, uh, Puget Systems, Falcon Northwest, uh, Cybertron, right? And the RMA rates, uh, RMA rates that we have with them are pretty much the lowest of any board vendor that's actively produced. So I would ask if the boards were inherently having such of an issue, why would we be maintaining essentially a, um, such a strong position with so many system integrators where that's a key part of their system? Because for many of them, they're the ones that are actually warranting the product to the consumer. It's not us warranting it to them, right? So they're on the hook. So in many situations, um, they even go through in a kind of additional layer of trying to make sure that they um, are making sure that the products that they put and that they release, you know, meet a certain level of reliability and durability. But that withstanding, it still doesn't change the fact that, you know, if somebody posted an issue, regardless of whether it's a misunderstanding of the product or whether it's a genuine issue in terms of uh, a board failing, which happens, nobody's going to make 100% of a product also, 100% a of the lot, time. A lot of these results aren't really relevant. GTX 1080 coil wine. My Gigabyte G1 has some crazy coil wine. Got an RMA from, and then later on in the thread, oh, I'm using um, this motherboard by Asus. Yeah. Yeah, probably yeah. not all uh, Asus um, is so horrible that's a, at RMAs. Yeah, that, so. that, that's a perfect example of that, you know. So um, that's why, like I said, I mean, you know, I think the more important part is that look at our involvement, right? Um, you know, even, you know, we've had great team members like Raja who spent a huge amount of time within your guys' forum being able to provide insight, um, where we've had dedicated owners threads to be able to provide insight and be able to provide kind of buffers and coordination between our service and support team. I've been active in a number of different communities, whether it's been within Reddit and like their build PC forums, uh, PC part picker communities, hard OCP, right? We've had, um, you know, people in Tom's hardware there's been no other vendor that has spent that time of effort to say we want to be able to support our users and best understand the experiences that they're having, regardless of whether those positive or whether they are negative. Um, and the thing is that, like I said, regardless, you're never going to be able to control 100% of the product 100% of the time. Um, there's always going to eventually be some type of issue. And all you can try oh, to yeah. do is, is be proactive about ensuring that you try to make sure that you're conscientious about how to best serve that consumer once they reach that pain point. Right. And if there are missteps that occur, um, you know, how can you try to make sure that you're looking at what those missteps were to be able to improve upon them? Well said. All right. I think that's I think that's enough <laughs> on that topic. Sorry if uh, yeah. got a little little <laughs> off track there, but um, I, 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 I just I just figured I had to bring it up just because uh, it was uh, it was the most upvoted question uh, in the Reddit threads. But. Uh, yeah. Moving on to Cynical or, or Wolf, you had something? Yeah, well, I just really wanted to say real quick, I mean, everybody potentially can have a different excuse or a different excuse or a different experience. And, I mean, one of the the tricky things, as you guys have pointed out, and this is something I dealt with when I was in retail, is that just people some quite often are so quick to blame the brand or the product. And, and, you know, it's just so many times it's actually not that. And it just comes down to, 
maybe uh, not even the user's fault still, but maybe something, one of the other pieces of the pie, you know, one of the other components in it. And I can't tell you how many times that, you know, we looked at it, we looked at it that way and we found out using other hardware that it was fine. And then sure enough, it ended up not being the brand, but now that person's already put their anger out there for the entire world to see. And so it's just, you know, it's a really, really tricky situation and it can make, you know, some brands that are wonderful brands, you know, have kind of a bad, bad reputation. Yeah, even even in my line of work, we've had places complain about, for example, uh, I work in the in the dryest business, and we've had customers complain about quality of, oh, quality of dryest is terrible, it doesn't last, all this. And then we look into it, and the customer has, has bins from, they're using from two weeks ago, Instead of this fresh stuff we just sent them, they just weren't ro- rotating their product. It was someone, uh, someone in a different part of the plant, a runner was sent just to bring the bins over and wasn't rotating them, and the guy was using them, and saying, "What the heck is going on?" I like so- how relevant <laughs> your um, driest stories are. More than I would have expected. No, but seriously, there, there's a lot of things where once you, on the surface, they send, you know, they send a picture of the bin of dry ice. It looked awful. Anyone seen that would say, hey, that's that's terrible quality. What are these guys sending? But when you dig down into the root of it, uh, a lot of times the cause isn't so isn't so clear. So I, I, and, like, and I, I was just going to say, I like what Rick Anderson said. He said, this dry ice is too dry and icy. <laughs> well, Rick, you can take off, eh? Yeah, please <laughs> don't encourage him, Wolf. <laughs> no, but... Uh, but seriously, it's uh, one other thing I wanted to say. Just the last thing on this topic was I do agree. One great thing, and on OCN in general, a lot of companies and ASUS, you're it's definitely one of them. Where uh, having a community presence is so key. Having a community presence in an enthusiast uh, setting, an enthusiast forum, really, really helps with the relations, and also helps uh, learn for you guys product development what people want. It helps people feel like their opinions matter and they're being heard when you have such a direct relationship and a direct forum to discuss things like this. Yeah, I mean, so. Cyn- you know, Cynical's mom and I have wonderful relations. Ah, right when Chunky shows up. Good job, Wolf. Dude, that's two two shows in a row that I've nailed it right in time for Chunky to hear. Oh, boy. Okay. So, uh. <laughs> so off the topic of... Cynical's lovely, yeah, delightful let's mother. Yeah, move above a middle school level of maturity. Yeah. Um, what? She's got, a lovely woman. Got into a discussion with Honey Badger UK in the um, the thread on OCN, and he asked, I have a question, not sure if it's just me being naive, though. I think it is him being naive if he has to ask, but um, he says, why is it that the, um, the current generation impact board has a U.2 slot or a U.2 port rather than an M.2 slot. Why, basically, why would you use U.2 rather than M.2? Because U.2 requires a dedicated cable and is, generally speaking, difficult to adapt to M.2, which is much more common. While M.2, you can usually get like a dumb adapter for it. It's like a little M.2... Um, card with a u.2 port on it and it's very easy to use why would you not either just use m.2 or include an adapter or what 
So that's a that's a very good question. Um, when we actually designed the original Maximus, uh, that Maximus Impact board, um, you know, yeah, Maximus uh, that, Eight. The, the top of the line in terms of really SSD performance was still at that time the Intel 750 series of SSD. It's really only been fairly recently that, um, one, you've had uh, really higher performing NVMe solutions. And then even right now, there's been a challenge of actually higher density configurations. Um, the goal of that board was really to not compromise on any, any key criteria. And at that launch time frame, you could really only get up to about 512 uh, gigabytes, which you might argue in saying, okay, maybe that's enough, right? But our perspective was that we wanted to be able to provide the absolute best solution. So highest performance was Intel's 750 series, which didn't come in an M.2 drive. It only came in U.2 or PCIe-based SSD, and nobody was going to replace uh, their graphics card just to be able to run the SSD. Two, the densities were much bigger, right? You could get up to 1.2 terabytes, which even right now with M.2, you can barely see. You, there's a challenge even for some vendors to be able to produce the high-performance 1 terabyte one M.2 solutions, and that's not even getting into the considerations on whether in a small form factor environment, the thermals are also going to create more of a concern, right, which would further reduce performance, right, uh, where we wouldn't have that type of concern with the U.2-based drive implementation. So... Our thought process was really, hey, we want to enable the absolute best solution at this time. And I think even still now, it holds up. And the reality is that any chassis that you're going to build in terms of a mini ITX board is going to have traditional 2.5-inch mounting points. Um, so it's not like you're going to be hurting to say, I can't, I don't know where to mount this versus the simplicity of M.2 is great, yes. Um, but, you know, there's every mini ITX chassis has at least one mounting point for a 2.5-inch drive, and many of them have multiple points. Um, but, you know, we look at that consistently moving forward. So, like, on the new Z270 line, um, you know, we actually implemented dual M.2. You know, no, no more vendors ever put two M.2 boards, two, excuse me, M.2 slots on a motherboard. So we have one on the back <coughs> and the front. Um, really? On which board? I'm pretty sure they've done it. I I'm vaguely pretty, remember pretty sure they have the it. <laughs> uh, yes. I can try and dig it out. <laughs> Face off. Oh, oh um, who's right now? <laughs> so, so that's fine. We can say, let's say, uh, almost no board, and there's no active Z170 motherboard on the market as of right now. That is 100% sure that has dual M.2. So even if they, let's say, have done, which I'm pretty sure they haven't, um, there it doesn't exist. But we ha, didn't decide here we to go. do. Hang on, hang on. Uh, Azrock Z97 Extreme Six. This came out with Haswell. Ultra M2 slot, that's four lanes from the um, CPU, plus a standard M2 slot, the two lanes from the chipset. So That are both storage-based? Yes, uh, the Ultra M2 slot, yes, that's storage-based. And then the other one, the standard one, that's um, the Intel Flex.io thing, like either SATA or um, PCIe X2. Okay, and they can both be used. I'll, I'll look at that. But <sighs> neither here nor there, it's okay. So, um, so it, we just basically lost JJ from ever coming back on the show. Thanks, no, it's, cynical. It, it's quite. Right. I it's, think Asrock is a better right. part of Asus when it comes to uh, doing Thanks, nifty buddy. things. Thanks. You <laughs> well, got. You just they, gotta they do, prove our guest wrong. <laughs> it is you, important. You hipster. You hipster cynical. I, just because you're like different. <laughs> I would like to note um, that is a lot of confusion when people do make that, but actually they, they are not part of us. They have never been part of us. Uh, there is some connectivity between a different um, ODM production company called Pegatron where there is some correlation. Um, I can't get into the specifics of that, but I can tell you at, at any time throughout its entire history, there has never been a direct um, connection between ASUS and ASRock. So in that production standpoint... They're, no, they're, yeah, they're they're always going to be a clear um, 
another market competitor. So we view them in a perspective in the same space that we would view them as Gigabyte, MSI, um, or any other motherboard manufacturer. There, he schooled you on that, Cynical. He was still wrong. I still win. Oh, oh dear. God. And th this is what we got to deal <laughs> oh, with, JJ. This is who we got to deal with on a daily basis. It's, I control the stream. He eats, he eats all the Cheetos in, in the green room, in the studio. He doesn't, uh, you know, just leaves his stuff everywhere. He, he doesn't flush after he poops. Heavy breathes all the time. Actually, yeah. that's not true. Like, serious, seriously, I think people should be publicly executed if they cannot flush after pooping. <laughs> you heard it here first well folks. dude then your mom would be taken right out okay okay no, that's she, enough she knows how to use a, a <laughs> wolf come on man but ho hopefully i did answer the question regarding what our thought kind of process was on uh why we decided to implement um the u.2 interface at least on that board that time and you know and and yeah, this is going to be period, one of those... uh, definitely puts it into context. Yeah, and 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 I think that's really important to look at, you know. And uh, this is, I think, another point, you know, is that there's a lot of things that you know, generation to generation, especially on an ROG board, you're going to see kind of continual evolution points of us trying different things out. Um, for the most part, I think that more often than not, we're successful in terms of the design implementations we put forward. You know, whether they're things like the the fan control implementations, whether it's layout topology, whether it's VRM design implementations. UEFI options. There could be any number of different types of things, but you know, every generation to generation, you have to always look back and see, you know, what that response was uh, amongst the community, amongst partners, and kind of see is that the right decision to do as you continue to move forward. You know, a, a good example of that even is something like on the current um, Z270 Mini ITX board that we just launched. Right, uh, a lot of people are really excited for that board, but it does have an interesting caveat. I just finished doing this nice kind of small form factor high end build where I had to use uh, Kraken x62 from nzxt and then also uh, i did some stuff with their q plus solution for some of their fans for the air fans and both of those require usb2 uh, um, uh, header on the board right but we made the conscious decision to build the board really kind of for the future so we made it where it has a front usb 3.0 header and then we have a front usb 3.1 header right now usb 3.1 in terms of the front chassis implementation doesn't exist yet right chassis partners are still probably about a month maybe two months away before they finally start to hit right uh, but we kind of made that uh, kind of decision to say we think it was a better choice to be able to maintain as that board has a longer lifespan and, and moving towards the kind of the, the price point where builders are going to be building that that kind of gets ratcheted in as a, as a better option than having a USB 2 header um, where that takes up the space of that, say, that USB 3.1. And if somebody really did need that USB 2.0, well, hey, they can buy a cheap, you know, $5 adapter to adapt USB 3.0 to USB 2.0, right? If they want to have an internal header um, so you know there's always going to be kind of these challenges um, because you know there's more than one way to be able to execute the design implementation and depending on kind of what a user interprets as what they see as being valuable right um, it might be the right or it might be the wrong choice right um, so that that's always a challenge that we face you know chipset to chipset right on um i bought a usb 2.0 card once by the way it uh i plugged it in and it burst into flames Actually, not really. It just let out the magic smoke, but cl close enough. Um, nothing really to add to that other than don't buy cheap um, expansion cards. <laughs> cool, cool story. Cool story. Uh, <laughs> yeah, cool bro. story, yeah, bro. Thanks. thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, better than Extravaganza. <laughs> so w one, one. Uh, I have a two 
kind of two-part question here, both related to the, the AM4 motherboards. So first off, um, the pre-mounted I.O. shield found in your uh, ROG Maximus 9 uh, and Rampage 5, those kind of things, that integrated I.O. shield uh, seems to be a really big hit, and uh, I really like the sound of it. <laughs> I haven't got to try one out yet. But is that something that you're planning to move over to the new AM4 motherboards? That's a really, really great question. So again, that's, um, you know, if you look at ROG, the kind of goal there is always to try to be innovative and try to provide and improve um, total value. I think value is a kind of tricky word for some people is where they always assume value means cheap. But for us, is it means it doesn't matter whether you spend $150 or $300 that the return on what you get is high. And so when we came out with that first design right on the Rampage board, it was about trying to say, hey, what else could we do to be able to provide value? Um, it does require a higher cost uh, to be able to integrate it into that. So it's something that we'll attempt to try to scale into more boards over time. But, you know, as we look at like economy of scale and we look at, you know, one, the feedback from the community, which has been very positive, which is why we put it into more boards like we have it on the uh, the formula board on this generation compared to the last one we only had on one board for X99. We'll continue to look at it, whether it's going to happen for current AMD, I can't tell you because as of right now, we only have two boards for AMD and it doesn't have it. Um, but that's just like any type of design spec that we look at, you know, whether, you know, in the past, an example might have been Intel Nix, right? Intel Nix used to be a more expensive solution, um, but offered a better experience. And we all had them on ROG motherboards. And then we down trickled it to every single, you know, pretty much uh, mainstream uh, ASU series board also got that that feature set that was incorporated or same thing fan controls they had more advanced super IO controllers on ROG and it kind of down trickled down so you know I would expect to see over time we'll continue to roll that out just like any of our more premium designs just please okay. don't use killer network controllers <laughs> anything but that <laughs> yeah I wouldn't uh, we we haven't ever uh, used it as a native solution on any of our board and I wouldn't expect that we would be doing that anytime soon oh thank you <laughs> and one more question question on the am4 motherboards topic um what's uh, it seems to be from just from across on reddit r slash hardware r slash asus uh, r slash build pc and um r slash pc gaming a lot of people asking about what where are the am4 boards uh, uh the stocks of them and everything it seems like there's uh they've been uh hard to find what's going on with the am4 boards so, um, you know, we, I think, came out with an amazing series of boards. You know, I think the feature set is absolutely awesome for this this platform generation. They pretty much mirror, of course, of course, everything that we did on Z270. Um, and compared to kind of some other chipset launches, you haven't traditionally had like a pre-order uh, be available for a chipset. Um, so you have to remember that there was a pre-order that was in effect before the actual formal launch. And so, um, you know, I can't give you numbers, but I can tell you that we did extraordinarily well in that period in terms of people really liking what we did for the Prime board and for the Crosshair board. And uh, because of that, um, you, you've seen, uh, you know, the immediate availability uh, be a little bit hampered from that. But definitely, you know, we're working on weekly production allocation to distribution and to, um, you know, all partners that you can purchase the boards from. So. I definitely okay. would say that, you know, over time, you'll keep seeing the uh, the stability in terms of the overall uh, availability improve. Okay, so basically just, uh, there's no recall or anything like that. It's just that it's hard, it's so popular, it's hard to keep up production demand for it. Yeah, definitely. There's n not, nothing in recall. Actually, um, to my knowledge, in the entire time that I've been with Asus, we've never had an active recall for any one board. Uh, the only time that there's ever been, I would say, recall is if you guys remember the whole uh, chipset issue from Intel side. 
Um, and that was, of course, an industry-wide uh, uh, kind of in implementation in terms of kind of a recall uh, for a revision support. But otherwise, no, definitely on the M4 side, nothing in that regard. Awesome. I just wanted to clear the air just because that question again was was asked across uh, several several threads on there. So, um, gentlemen, cynical wolf, uh, are there any more questions you wanted to get out there before we start wrapping things up? Uh, no, man. Um, I I just really am glad to have JJ on the show. It's been wonderful. Yeah, and JJ, is there anything? Uh, it's been a pleasure having you here. Is there anything you want to ask us? Um, <laughs> no. Well, first, I, I want to thank you guys. It's been fantastic to be able to have some some good uh, conversation. Um, you know, I do want to make a note to anybody that's listening, as well as I'll, I'll be following up with people out there in the thread. Um, we are actually going to be doing a giveaway for our new um, Maximus Nine Apex board. So this is a really special board that we uh, worked on for quite some time. Is kind of now taking on the mantle of our kind of overclocking centric board. Um, although, you know, I, we love to kind of really draw the line to the sand that regardless that we're quote unquote calling this our really overclocking centric board, we make the same statement that we've had now for generations that all our boards are going to give you a great consistent, reliable OC experience, right? That this kind of artificial segmentation, um, it, it, that gets kind of promoted from some vendors, um, isn't necessarily the case. It's really more kind of a differentiation in terms of functions and features that might be more aligned with certain types of overclocking enthusiasts. That's where you see a correlating delta. But um, we'll be following up with some more information in the thread where you guys, I'd love to hear not only your guys' feedback, but the community's feedback on a lot of what we've been doing in terms of design work. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that sadly doesn't always get the opportunity to go into the detail regarding what we do, whether it's you know, in terms of fan controls, overclocking implementations, UEFI changes, um, you know, or, or layout considerations, a lot of that stuff. And it is something that we genuinely always find valuable to be able to get, you know, real world feedback from our users um, to be able to help to influence and kind of give us insights into what we can keep doing generation generation to keep making a better product. So uh, we'll follow up with that. And uh, hopefully you guys all one of you, one of you lucky users out there will uh, get the chance to pick up a pretty sweet board. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm uh, that, I'm gonna love it. Cynical? That, oh no, my God, he's always <laughs> always shilling, and it's just never gonna work for you, buddy. Yeah, I mean, really though, you we need we need to get can we get blue micro blue audio on here just so we can get cynical damn mic. <laughs> that that would be hilarious. Hey, uh, can you come and do the show? The only requirement is that you have to provide a mic to one of our one of our people who uses a rock band microphone. <laughs> no, but but seriously, uh, JJ, thanks so much for coming on and uh, not shying away from some of the questions uh, we had to ask. And uh, it's a pleasure having you on. Hopefully, we'll have you on again. And uh, cheers. And keep your stick on the ice. Uh, yeah. This episode brought to you by Azrock. Yeah, Azrock yeah. for the best overclocking experience. Oh, taking my thing from last season. Oh, yes. just you are dirty. You are a dirty little man. Yes, you I know, am. You know who else is? My mom. No, man. Oh, Jeez, she's why a would you sweetheart. Do that? Yeah, don't she you, is. Don't you dare badmouth her. Oh, I, I, you have to forgive me for making that uh, conclusion. <laughs> but All right. yeah, seriously. Hey, just real quick, thanks for doing the giveaway, JJ. That's awesome. No, thank you. It's always great to be able to, uh, you know, be able to provide something back to the community. I mean, we wouldn't be in the position where we are without our users. Perfect. 
everybody. So tune in to uh, just check the threads on OCN. Are you gonna? We'll make a post, whether it's in there or not. We'll make a post in our main uh, OCN podcast thread, and we'll link the giveaway whenever that happens. And uh, yeah, so just follow on there to be kept in the loop and be available for uh, a nice little giveaway. So again, thanks for coming on. Cheers and keep your stick on the ice. I already said that. <laughs> yeah, everybody have a good night.